This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, live listeners, and hello, podcast listeners. My name is Emma Williams. Welcome back to the new autumn term. Lots of you will be in your classrooms right now doing the wonderful job that you do every day. Let's hope you get time to catch up with my show when the dust has settled. So stay tuned for an introduction to my lovely guest. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Well, welcome again and happy new year because let's face it, for us teachers, the start of September always feels like the new year. I've never understood the whole January thing, probably because I've been permanently ensconced in education uh, on one or other side of the desk since, well, forever, never left it. Uh, So really September is the start of our new year and that sense of a new beginning in the autumn term. So I hope everybody has had a wonderful beginning and that they didn't have too much of a sleepless night last night. I know that's something I always have struggled with is those last few nights before you first welcome your classes back. As soon as you get in front of the class, it's absolutely fine. But that sense of anticipation, that sense of dread, that sense that you might have forgotten how to do it uh, is, is really, really tough for all of us. So it's an exciting week on Teachers Talk Radio, as always. Did want to mention that we have got a sponsored show tomorrow on Twitter Spaces. So tomorrow is September 6th, uh, if you're listening on Catch Up. It's at 7.30, where Tom Rogers will be speaking to Dr. Kathy Weston from Tooled Up Education on a special sponsored show on developing evidence-informed approaches to mental health in schools. And regular listeners will know that I've had Kathy on my show quite a long time ago now. She was one of my very first guests when I first started on Teachers Talk Radio. So I do hope lots of you will tune in for that because Kathy is absolutely fantastic to listen to. She's got her own radio show, so uh, she's definitely worth listening to. So do tune in for that, absolutely. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. 
Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. Something that's been on my mind a lot lately is how we look after, or perhaps don't look after, our middle leaders and our senior leaders. It's such a tough gig and the pressure that they're under is immense. I think it's easy for those of us who've only ever been a classroom teacher to forget the level of pressure that they're under. Now, my previous head of department was a very close friend of mine, and I think it really gave me an insight into the pressure that's placed on leaders at that level, certainly in our school. Um, the amount of data that they have to analyse, as well as the huge pressures that are put onto them to actually manage a team of staff. And I think sometimes that sense of hierarchy, we kind of forget the pressure that they're under. And frankly, the pretty large timetable that, for example, heads of departments still have in addition to their leadership role. And even when you get to senior leadership, if you take a look at some of the timetables of some of our senior leaders, it was really quite surprising the amount of teaching they were still doing on top of the enormous role that they were asked to do. So it's something I've been thinking about on and off over the last couple of years. And today, I'm going to be speaking to Julia Silver, who is an experienced school leader in her former career in schools, but she's now founder and CEO of Qualified Tutor, which is an organisation which, which aims to promote training for private tutors and to engage the tutoring profession in that process, which is something, if we're honest, has been sorely lacking in the past. As it happens, I have just completed their level three course. I'm not qualified yet. Uh, my dissertation is still being examined, but fingers crossed uh, that I will get a level three qualification. So I'm a big fan of anything that aims to do that for tutors, because I am rather disquieted at the, um, the fact that there is no legislation in place and therefore there's, there's no sense of how you can tell whether a tutor actually knows what they're doing or not. So I was really interested in, in Julia's vision for the tutoring industry. And that's something that I'm going to uh, ask her about in the interview. So I caught up with Julia and she is remarkably frank and open with me about her journey in teaching, through teaching, including her journey out of that, out of teaching and, and the reasons for that. And we did explore the stresses and strains 
of leadership in our discussion. And next fortnight, I'm going to be talking to Vicky Bingham, who is a current head teacher. She's still flying the flag for leadership. So there's a bit of a theme to my uh, shows uh, for this fortnight and the next. I'm really interested in your experiences in the school environment and what made you leave, what you feel you've learned from it and how you've applied that to what you do now. Okay. I'm, I'm only going to be really honest with you. I really experienced burnout this year. I was really at rock bottom. I pushed myself very, very hard with qualified tutor and it took its toll on me physically. So I had COVID after the second love tutoring festival mm -hmm. and um, I just didn't recover. I didn't recover emotionally and I really lost a sense of myself. So the last few months has been a sort of not just regrouping, like, you know, finding myself again, but also trying to get to a point where I don't burn out next time. I've been doing lots of work with different wonderful coaches and um, one of them just pointed out to me, I always tend to burn out. So when you ask me about my journey through school, I'll tell you that I was burned out when I left there as well. Um, and every leadership role I've had, I reached burnout. And it was something to do with throwing all of your good energy at a brick wall. And that sort of understanding about what the systemic issues are that create brick walls, that's what the spirit of Qualified Tutor is coming to address. So the way that we speak in Qualified Tutor is all boats rise with the tide because I learned very much as a school leader that by raising culture, you can raise people's outlook and then everything shifts because once the mindset shifts, new opportunities, new choices become available by, by focusing on well-being and by focusing on raising the culture in, in my school, I was able to really raise standards. And that's what I want to do in tutoring also. So we always show up with positivity. Our qualified tutor house rules, which you'll know already, are um, be curious, be generous and be reflective, because those are the behaviours that we need to show up as as learners. And we are always in a growth zone when we're showing up as learners. The problem is when we shut down because we're exhausted or we're fearful. And I think our existing systems cause us to, to live in, in a shut down mode. Uh, I'll show you something lovely that I keep on my desk. This is a drawing, E.H. Uh, Shepard drawing of Winnie the Pooh. And it's from right at the beginning of the first Winnie the Pooh book where Christopher Robin brings Winnie the Pooh down the stairs. So you see Christopher Robin with his hand on the banister walking down the stairs. His other hand is holding Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh is coming down, bump, bump, bump. And what it says is, here comes Winnie the Pooh coming down the stairs, bump, bump, bump. He's sure there's another way to come down the stairs, but he can't quite think of it at the moment because his head hurts. I feel that those of us who are in the school system are all in our own personal lockdowns. Our head hurts. We're too exhausted holding up the system to be able to think of another way to come down the stairs. So for me, it's been about having the freedom to step out of the school system to reimagine it. And the first thing that I've done is look at tutoring because tutoring 
helps children. It helps adults to find another way to repurpose our commitment to education. And because it's less boxy, it can be more bespoke. So the fact that we can have this boundaryless because it's it's got no borders tutoring, we can tutor across time zones. And because we can do something that's really, really specific to the needs of our learners, it's a much more future focused approach to education that is much less limited by policies and procedures. It's not that I want to do away with school. My kids broke up for the school holidays and they went straight into camp. <laughs> so I, I do believe that children need to be with children, part of a thing. I need to be able to work all day. All of those things are important, but it's not the most effective way to learn. Classroom learning is not the most effective way to learn. And there are huge collateral damages that happen with children and adults who are trying to make classroom learning efficient when it intrinsically is inefficient. Tutoring is more person-centered, more sustainable, more gentle, and has less collateral damage. If you think about the, the learners that we have in our classroom who are SEND learners, children who are not coping with classroom learning, I think about them as canaries because they're telling us that the system doesn't work. They're just more sensitive than the rest of us. If we would read them and provide the kind of personalized learning that would work for them, it would work better for everyone else as well. We all know that teachers have an impossible task and are given an impossible task by society that relies on them and doesn't admit to it. And tutors are sitting even behind that. Teachers and school league tables are relying on tutors without giving us the nurture and leadership and attention and standards and rigor and expectation and appreciation that we need. So that's sort of the space that I stepped into to bring my background as a school leader into tutoring because I believe that tutoring is a more gentle way to educate. So is it something that you feel in the future all children could and should have access to, one-to-one -one tutoring? I do imagine a school where there are two staffs running. You have classroom staff which provide team activities where the learners are genuinely collaborative rather than vying for the attention of the teacher. And then when you want children to acquire functional skills, they should be learning in one-to-one -one or small groups. Um, that's a vision that I sort of described a few years ago now that is ideally going to be the legacy of the NTP. That investment in tutoring in schools has happened in other countries as well. There's a real sense that there could be a parallel staff and a parallel timetable running where children hop out of group activities to go and have one-to-one -one input and then come back into the classroom. The NTP hasn't really been very successful in delivering that, has it? I don't tend to discuss the efficacy of the NTP as much as the idea and the legacy, because there were always going to be challenges in the delivery of it. But I, I deeply believe that what they were pointing to was the right thing. The Elliott Major's vision for vouchers that was first launched in the Sutton Trust reports, that was a good thing. Um, and I do believe that the legacy will be indisputable because 
head teachers will discover that the best place to put pupil premium is on tutoring. And so whatever it was that jump-started that learning is a valuable uh, catalyst. Okay. And what worries me, I think, is that so many head teachers have had such a negative experience with well, trying to source NTP that, if anything, it will put them off. I am an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I um I I believe that the administrative burden that the NTP placed on schools was always going to be the challenge. The fancy footwork that the DFE have been dancing, trying to adjust that burden, they haven't cracked it. But there was always going to be a challenge when you brought the public and the private sector together. And that process was always going to be full of friction. But the fact that the DfE announced that tutoring is a good spend of money can't be taken away. There is evidence for that. There was evidence preceding the NTP and there is evidence caused by the NTP scale that cannot be disregarded. The administrative burden is again, Winnie the Pooh bumping down the stairs. Let's not get stuck on it because even if the tactics were wrong, the strategy was right. Well, you're certainly right, I think, about the body of evidence. And I agree with you that the initial simple idea of a voucher scheme was in many ways the ideal, because then one, what you're actually doing is gifting people with choices. I suppose the argument against that is those children who are most in need have parents who aren't equipped to make those choices. And it's not just their lack of finance it's their lack of experience a lack of interest a lack of valuing education well what we do have is some really proactive and switched on agency leaders who reach out to schools and offer wraparound services where the vouchers can be spent without the parents having to having to make too many choices for example the connexus franchise are super at offering tutoring to the schools, which is local, in situ, uncomplicated, taken care of by this sort of wraparound body of teaching stuff. And I, I think that that already existed. You know, there are a handful of the NTP tuition partners who were already offering the NTP model. You know, another organization that I'm very close with is the Manning's Tutoring Organization. And again, it was their model. They had already been proving its value. And so we're really not far off where we were. The NTP could and should have just been a catalyst. It has turned out to be extremely politicized. Mm. Um, my preference is to circumnavigate that the politics of it and just understand what the ed educational value and the evidence base really is. I certainly agree that in many ways it's been nothing but positive for the tutoring industry because I think it has further raised awareness of the value of tutoring and I think all the debates about oh well what's it cost and how's it been implemented and all the rest of it actually like you say that's the trappings of, of politicization what's important is it has made everyone think Oh, actually, yeah, it would be quite good if students who are behind and can't afford it themselves had access to this service. So at least it's posed that as a proposition. I, I feel that to be true. I, I also feel that, you know, to come back to that idea of burnout, the reason why I burn out is because I always look to what needs to be done next. 
And if we rather focus on what's been achieved, um, we've come a long way in the last two years. When I first started out, I went to BET, which is um, the EdTech exhibition in London in 2020, January of 2020, just before lockdown. And when I told people there, you know, I was just going around from stand to stand, and I told people that I was working on tutor training, people responded with a sort of blank look. <laughs> tutor training is a brand new concept. And then there were a few people, and I know them still today, who I could see a light bulb. Oh, tutor training. And now when I say to somebody, I'm working on credentials for tutors, they say, that's what I need. That's what I need to see. A quality mark for tutors is something that people are beginning to understand because of that decision, Patty. With all the will in the world, the most motivated parents are struggling to select the right tutor. Mm. The, the metaphor that I like to use is like choosing shoes. Um, it has yeah. to be the right size, the right purpose, the right season, the right price. It's really complex choosing a tutor mm. and, and you'll need to change tutors like you need to change shoes for different purposes. And having that nuanced understanding of, of how a tutor can really be a personalized choice takes a whole language of understanding that we are only just beginning to develop. Before I left my school two years ago, I used to stand at the school gate every afternoon and reflect on that gate. There's a lot to think about with, with the, the boundary between the parents and the, and the teachers, the parents and the educators, the parents in the school. And the difference between that relationship and the relationship that we as tutors have with parents, or I as a parent have with the tutors that I take on to work with my kids, it's, it's a much closer relationship. It doesn't have the same boundaries that the school gate creates. It doesn't create the same expectations, the same distance, the same sense of value. And we as tutors need to assert ourselves like any other small business person does to, to indicate trust, to indicate value, and then to make sure that we delight with the, with the experience that we deliver, with the service we deliver. And all of those things are wrapped around our skill as an educator. But because we've been sort of operating in this undeveloped profession, this undeveloped space, and I'd say that the NTP has challenged us to develop, we've had to create our own language for what excellence is, what professionalism is. It's not, are you qualified, but how qualified are you? And are you qualified to work with this student at this time to serve this purpose? And it's a really nuanced approach. Do you think that legislation may come and that the government may start to wake up to the fact that tutoring is completely unregulated? I mean, I would have thought so. And um, there'll be pros and cons to it. The Sutton Trust study of, I think it was 2015, but it's all a blur now, 2019 maybe, that caused tutoring shadow schooling was one of the first things that really lit me up to this problem of lack of regulation. Because no school should exist in the shadows because that's not safe. And because no professional can thrive in the shadows because they're not getting the support that they need. Mm. Tutoring should not be shadow schooling. It should not be under the shadow of schools contributing to the to the um, outcomes of schools without being nurtured and supported and developed itself. But 
uh, I saw that there were two routes. There was regulation and there was training. And I intentionally chose the training route because top-down change doesn't stick. The practitioners, and there are many of us, will rail against top-down um, regulation. And therefore, because it was an empty space at the time, I decided that by creating a grassroots vision of opting into training of what excellence could and should feel like for us, where the emphasis is on the continuous element of professional development, that's us organizing ourselves so that when the government does turn to us and say, what should standards look like? We should say, it looks like Emma Williams. Obviously. <laughs> it does because it looks like individuals who are doing it seriously. And then we extrapolate back from that, like any good school policy should. A good school policy should describe what's already happening and going well. Mm. That's what tutor standards should look like. And what we know we want to do better in. Yes, that's part of it too, isn't it? Absolutely. Being able to identify areas that you are needing improvement in. And and you only we're aware of that. That's true. So that's obviously something that you brought from your leadership background in, in schools. You felt you were good at raising culture. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, I'd be delighted to. The first thing I did when I stepped into my school leader role was buy fruit for the staff room. And I was at the school gate. So I had a clear understanding of what was frustrating parents, of how the students were showing up, of how the, the, pet, the, the teachers were bringing the children down at primary school. Those simple elements of contribution and visibility made me able to prop up a system that was at that time really very wobbly with very little understanding of what the system issues were. And actually what happened was that as I started to build my understanding of what was going on under the surface that needed to be addressed, I really needed to challenge my capability and my capacity. And that's when I took on my, my NPQH, the headship training that I did. But that instinct initially for just being of service was probably the bottom line of what worked really well in that school. When the young teachers said to me, I believe in myself now because you believed in me then. That's awesome. And when, when they undertook training that they never thought that they would do, and I see them now as middle leaders and senior leaders in the school, that's a real sense of, of legacy because what you don't want to do when you raise culture is sticking plasters. What you want to do is build solid foundations that go way beyond what you personally can provide. I, I did an inset once where I asked the staff to brainstorm certain values. Um, we were working towards a mission statement. And one of the teachers said to me, well, she said in front of everyone, when the building looks as drab as it does, how do you expect me to feel values? And another one said, when the creche is as wobbly as it is, how do you expect me to look after other people's children? And those questions, firstly, were really high trust, because you have to feel safe to ask those questions. 
And secondly, they went right to the heart of how I learned to nurture the people that I was working with so that they could nurture the people that they were working with. But how did you address? I mean, you can't solve the fact that you're in this crowd. So what, 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 oh, magic, yes, what magic, unless you got your paint pot out yourself, I mean, what, what magic formula did you apply? Well, well, that was all about working with the governors. Um, so in terms of the crash, I'll tell you exactly what happened. We, we got a good Ofsted. I called the governor, that the head of governors that evening. I called him and I said, and now if you want me to keep things this good, you need to give me a crash or my teachers won't stay. And so by the end of the next term, we had a high functioning Ofsted registered crash that is now one of the pillars of the community. So people outside the, the school staff send there also, which makes it financially viable for the school. So that was one element. The second element in terms of the building space, which really was very important because we were a split site school in a small community and the building really was problematic. It was an ongoing battle to make sure that the building did what it was supposed to do. But there were specific projects that I was able to run. So the Keep Our School Tidy project where I would go around with the year sixes and a clipboard and we would rate the classrooms and the children would hurry to, to tidy up before the inspectors came round and all these different things that we did to take the weight off the teachers, to take pride in the environment, and then again say to the governors, our school is sparkling, but our aircon doesn't work. You know, yeah. it went that way around. And again, it's always that grassroots movement where you understand that people are doing their best. And if you want things to get better, you have to lighten their load. OK, so it, it is about changing things at the grassroots level in a small way and then reflecting that back up to the people who make the decisions and saying that's right. And always you want this to work. Yeah. And always point to the wins always point to the positives. So Mrs. Silver's golden book was um, a, a bit of a, you know, a monolith in the school by the time I left. And they, of course, they awarded me with my own golden book when I left. <laughs> um, but going around the, the school sprinkling spit fairy dust, it genuinely made a lasting difference because it wasn't a plaster. It raised people's internal sense of well-being. It wasn't instead of doing the hard work and the systematic change, but it pointed to that systematic change. If I may though, is it not being the fairy dust person that is why you've struggled with burnout? Because that's quite an exhausting process, being that person that people then expect to get that from. It's really interesting. No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. I always burn out when I try to be the person I'm not. I always burn out when I realize people have had plenty of fairy dust and now they need some blooming systems. And when I try to be the systems person, I break myself. And when I rest and recuperate, what I do is I remember that, let me bring what I can bring and let somebody else bring what they can bring, which by the way, takes us right back to that bespoke personalized approach. I don't have to be a generalist. I don't have to be everyone. There's plenty of wonderful people in this world. Let me bring what I can bring and somebody else bring what they can bring. It's the same nonsense of the industrialized schooling model. So did that mean 
that you needed to think carefully about what kind of team you were in that you had the right people that would bring different skills to the table that's right and that's always true and, and i have this thing in in all my relationships of loving people with an open hand they stay because they want to stay and they move on when they need to move on and that's i feel a really healthy flow nobody is indispensable I want you to bring your whole self as a person. And when it's time for you to move on, I will accept somebody else's whole self in this role. So you said that burnout happened to you when you tried to be somebody that you're not. Well, I'm, I'm always happy to stretch towards skills that I don't have. But for example, qualified tutor needed it quicker. Mm. My school needed it quicker. In 10 years time, I'd love to tell you that I know how to be an operations manager. But qualified tutor can't wait 10 years. I have such a regard for policies and procedures. But I think that part of that regard is because it's not natural to me to create policies and procedures. We always respect what we don't have. Do you know what I mean? Again, it's that sort of, I see what's not here. Mm. So, so I, I admire I admire those operations people, those systems people, um, and they probably think that fairy dust is completely elusive. But when we bring those two things together, that can be greater than the sum of its parts, which is what I'm always, always looking towards. It's about trust. It's about respect. It's about boundaries and communication and a shared vision. Well, that certainly seems to me from the outside what you got right with Qualified Tutor from the beginning. It really was. A, genuinely a vision it wasn't just an idea it wasn't just a concept it really was a vision and you've been very clear about it from the start yeah because you've built multiple courses now haven't you as part of qualified tutor is that right then we yeah. have a short course and a longer course so the cpd accredited four-part course and then the level three which is seven units long so it builds off the same four and then further with some assessment pieces um and then we have these smaller courses that sit around it and my goal next emma is to start certifying other people's courses because again i don't have to be every specialist in the world i have mm. a community of educators the first courses that i wrote were evidence-based pedagogy and then when i felt that there was a need for a science course a an 11 plus course i realized I don't know that stuff mm. <laughs> and so rather than beginning to feel like an imposter and writing courses that I didn't really know I decided to lean on other people's specialisms the, the next phase of qualified tutor which is in my mind sort of as part of my own refresh there will be a qualified tutor relaunch in the next few months um, and one of the things you'll see is mini courses led by our hub leaders <laughs> uh, you have you've built something amazing it's really impressive it means um, a lot to me, thank you. And and so much of it is just freely available. That's that's what's so amazing. Uh, obviously, if people want to do the, the qualification, then everybody understands that's going to cost. But you can join the community and be part of it and dip your toe in the water without spending any money, which is which is really powerful. I've done a lot of thinking about barriers for entry. Because I'm leading change. I have to keep the barriers for entry as low as possible because I want people in. 
So the thing that we haven't mentioned is tutoring is not plan B, which is the core message of the book that I'm writing. And the reason why I landed on that concept of tutoring is not plan B is because I feel like it answers all the problems in tutoring at the same time, because you're nodding. So because um, a plan A, my plan A is not the same as your plan A, but choosing to behave towards something as a plan A is a very different mindset. So I want you to stay involved in qualified tutor because I want it to be your plan A, whatever that looks like to you. And whether it's 30 hours of tutoring a week or three hours of tutoring a week, as long as it's intentional, it becomes part of your vision for your life. That means that your students are working with somebody who's serious, that you get that feeling of fulfillment and professional pride, and that tutoring begins to be seen differently by the wider educational ecosystem. I think that's really important. And I think it, it has for so long been seen as a side hustle uh, by, well, everybody, I think. I've met with Samantha McMahon quite recently, who you probably know. So she obviously, as a coach, works with teachers who've experienced burnout a lot of the time. And she was saying a lot of teachers just think, oh, I, I want to leave teaching. Well, I suppose I'll tutor. They sort of fall into it because they can't think of anything else to do. And something she does is work with teachers thinking, actually, no, there are lots of other options. Ah. Now, is tutoring right for you? And if it's not, well, you shouldn't be doing it, really. It should be something that you want to do. You should be passionate about it. You should be excited about it. And if you're not... There are other things that teachers are skilled up to do. Our, our skills are enormous. And there's so much to that because, well, firstly, do you know Katie Stickley and her website did teach? Yes. It's yes. a fabulous jobs board for teachers leaving the classroom. And of course, there's the Facebook group, Life After Teaching. Yes. Which I think is a really, really valuable space in terms of affirming our feelings. But I also think that to me, the most valuable part of this conversation that we've just had is for me to say to you, it's not that I burn out when I give too much fairy dust. It's when I try to do something different. So that thing about being a specialist and being a generalist is really interesting. If it is that we break when we are trying to be someone we're not, then I worry that the teachers in our classrooms don't want to be there and the tutors working with our students don't want to be there if you create an escape hatch for those teachers the ones who still will be there are the ones who want to work with children and the ones who are still tutoring are the ones who want to be tutoring and if the classrooms are then empty then the schools jolly well have to reimagine their systems because winnie the pooh has run out of steps and he needs to think of another way to do it. I completely agree. If everybody clears out, then they'll have to think about what they're doing. Won't they? well, at the moment, all they're doing is locking the doors. It is very true. And certainly I'm, I feel very lucky that I've been able to step out. And for me, it very much was a, a similar, I don't want to be that teacher who doesn't want to be there. I, I, always, I always have wanted to be there and it happened quite suddenly that I didn't. Uh, after 20, 20 years or so and I thought I've got to go now because uh, I can feel it's it's 
going to impact on my performance. It's going to impact on how I interact with the children. And I need to go now before it starts ruining what's been a very happy, successful yeah. career. I tell you, I, I had a similar experience when I um when I finally left my school. I, I lost my father two years ago, which coincided with the launch of Qualified Tutor. My father was a, a business person, an entrepreneur, and my biggest fan. Um, so I really felt like I it, it was sort of a um, it's where I put the love. But what I wanted to share with you about that was that I knew I needed to leave my school because qualified tutor was taking more than its fair share when I was still working in the school. But it was really hard for me to leave. I was sitting in my office with my mask on, hiding from the people in school. And I realized that I was undoing my achievements and I was undermining my legacy. Yeah. And because as a leader, you're always focused on what your legacy is going to be, you know, what's going to be here after I stop putting in the input, I realized that I needed to leave before they stopped trusting me, before I stopped showing up like Mrs. Silver. And that was, that was what gave me the push. I realized that I was doing myself a disservice by being there in half measure. Yeah, that sounds really familiar to me. I felt the same because uh, in a much smaller way, but I I basically made Latin what it is in, in my school. It was a it was a subject that was just for a tiny handful of, of selected students before, whereas now it's a, a big, it's a proper viable job. Uh, and I, I, it really mattered to me. And I thought, I'm going to spoil this legacy myself. Yes, if I that's don't right. Go. And because obviously, it, previously, the worry has always been, oh, how, how are they going to replace me? Because in my yes. subject, that is a worry. Yes. But then I thought, well, I could ruin it all myself if I don't, if I don't go now. Yeah. And having, having a sense of your own sell by date. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting because, I mean, so I'm 43 and my kids, my eldest is 16. And over the last few years, you won't be surprised to hear there's been a big shift because, you know, when your kids are little and you need to be physically with them, there's a very specific stage. There's a very specific way of being to raise little children. Mm. And there is a very specific way of raising, of, of living with teenagers, and it's extremely different. And that mindset shift really, and coinciding with the loss of my father, um, it really forced me to rethink that stage had its sell by what is this stage like and and that intentionality that sort of plan a approach and that proactive approach is always what I'm showing up with and it's jolly hard work but um, it's worth it because it's what you're good at and therefore I can see I can see how that would mean that's not what makes you burn out because that's what you're getting the kick out of. That's right, that's right, that's right. And it's not that I'm an extrovert at all. Um, I definitely refill my bucket by sitting at home and reading fiction, but I know that that's, that's what I want to put into the world. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. I tell you what, it feels like my first step back out into the world and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, well, I'm glad to see you here. Thanks so much.
So Julia really did make me think about the pressure that we place on our leaders and, and I've thought a lot about what she said about her role as the sprinkler of the fairy dust and her her assertion that that wasn't what made her burn out and I guess I have to agree she's very clear on it and and seems to have reflected a great deal but there is a part of me that can't help wondering that that isn't one of the pressures that we really do place on our leaders the way we we look to them for positivity uh, the relentless demands that we we place on them I certainly think it's something that I've reflected on a lot and that all of us need to bear in mind whatever role we're playing just to remember that our leaders are human and I thought her her reflections on realising that she needed to leave were really powerful um, realising just as I did that she was going to spoil her own legacy because she was no longer giving of herself in the way that that she felt the job needed and demanded. So she really, really did make me think about the pressures on people at that level. And as I say, next fortnight, I'm going to be talking to a current head teacher who will also be reflecting on the pressures at that level. But it's been really amazing for me to start to talk to people who have done what I've done and stepped out of full-time teaching, but stayed in education. And in various shows, I've um, explored people who've come late to teaching, people who've left teaching early, uh, and the massive impact it's had on those people's careers. Uh, teaching always seems to shape what people do. I think that's one of the amazing things about it. It never leaves you. It always stays with you. And certainly every ex-teacher I know still feels like a teacher. They still consider themselves a teacher. They find it really, really hard to let go of. There's something about teaching. There's no doubt about it. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Daily Mirror runs a story on school places with headlines claiming that in some areas where schools are oversubscribed, nearly nine out of ten parents do not get a place for their child at their first choice secondary school. The article names specific schools in Wolverhampton and Lambeth as the hardest secondary schools to get into, with the primary from Liverpool named as the most difficult to get into. As children return to school for the new academic year, applications for those set to start primary or secondary in September 2023 are set to open soon. The deadline for secondary places is October 31st and January the 15th next year for primary. According to figures published in the article, 83% of applicants got their first choice of secondary school for September 2022, a small increase on the 2021 figure of 81%. The proportion of primary school applicants who received their first choice remained at 92%. A full list of England's most oversubscribed schools is published on the Daily Mirror website. In Scotland, council workers due to go out on strike next week have suspended their action after unions received a new pay offer from local authority leaders. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The high-profile waste worker strike has seen rubbish build up in city centres. 
but action was also set to affect schools in early years provision as members of Unison were set to walk out. Aberdeen Live also reports on possible strike action by Scottish teachers after what unions describe as an insulting pay offer. The 5% pay increase was rejected by the Educational Institute of Scotland's Executive Committee and they have opened a ballot for members concerning industrial action. Members of the union have until the 16th of September to vote on the action. Following the return to school for the new academic year, Eastern Eye reports on advice to schools around school attendance. The advice recommends close partnership work with councils, targeted family support and home visits to address barriers to attendance. These form part of a package of new approaches to ensure that more children are in school every day. The Department for Education is also launching a three-year one-to-one attendance monitoring pilot aimed at tackling the factors behind non-attendance such as bullying and mental health issues. The scheme will be launched in Middlesbrough this year before expanding to other areas next year. A new attendance data visualisation tool is also expected later in September. In some countries on the continent of Africa, a significant barrier to school attendance comes as a result of pregnancy in adolescent girls, according to Human Rights Watch. The organisation says that whilst many countries now have laws and policies in place to protect girls' education, there are still shortcomings with at least 10 African Union member countries still having no laws related to protecting the retention of students who are pregnant or are adolescent mothers. More on this story can be found on the Human Rights Watch website. In Wales, mandatory sex education lessons will go ahead in the new school term as the High Court rules in favour of the plan. A group of five parents lost their legal challenge to block the lessons in a hearing on the 31st of August. The group wanted to withdraw their children from the mandatory lessons or stop the rollout of relationships and sexual education altogether. The parents had already been granted a judicial review to be heard in November. RSE is part of the statutory new curriculum in Wales, although half of secondary schools are delaying the new curriculum until 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I complete my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The topic today is why is my upload speed lower than my download speed? In previous episodes, we've discussed bandwidth and the more devices, the more demand, but internet service providers only tend to advertise their download speed. Why is this? Well, because it's higher. Let's take a trip back to the beginning of the internet for general public use. If you're old enough to remember dial-up and what we used to use the internet for pre-2006 when we were introduced to the Facebook boom, the internet was more like a library. You go, search for a book or a web page, use the book for your research, then return it. Traffic or knowledge is mostly one way, downloading to you. The only real use for uploading for the day-to-day user of the internet was to request a web page, a very small amount of data, and to send the odd email. Most things we did were all based on downloading. This is called an asymmetric connection. Downloading is given more bandwidth as it's the most used. This to date is still the fact. Most people download more than they upload. With data transmission being restricted by the size of transmission media being used, it makes sense for there to be more bandwidth dedicated to downloading than to uploading. Uploading has become increasingly more important for people since the development of apps like Facebook. Although developed in 2004, in 2006, due to increasingly better phone technology and the trend of documenting your life and posting it for others to see, the speed that you can upload has become more important. 
However, if a video or image takes a while to upload, we can do something else. If what you're watching stops, it's the end of the world. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech for the new academic year. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, download and upload speed certainly of much more concern for me now in my new role as online tutor because it can really make a difference. I've currently got a client in Cornwall and boy did we feel the difference when everybody was on holiday and there were an extra 100,000 people uh, down in her area. It made an unbelievable difference to our connection. So I hope you were interested in my interview with Julia and her reflections on sprinkling fairy dust, as she puts it. And it really has left me thinking about the demands that we place on our leaders. There was an article in The Guardian uh, this month uh, by an ex-head teacher called Nick Smith. And the headline was, Longer hours, pay cuts, abusive parents, no wonder head teachers are quitting. And it makes for really quite horrific reading and this man has left his role as head teacher and he he says that he came across a a newspaper article written about when he was appointed which was in 2007 that's just before i joined the school i've just left um so he's head teacher of a secondary school and he reflects in the article on looking at the image of himself in that article and how different he looked. He says the the person staring out of the page looked ridiculously young and optimistic. Looking at myself in the mirror, I was unrecognisable with sunken eyes and a haunted look about me. I required trousers with an elasticated waistband, shoes with cushioned soles, unfeasibly high levels of caffeine, and a 5.15am wake-up call just to get me through the average school day. And again, I'm afraid I have seen this happen to colleagues, quite commonly to middle and senior leaders. I've seen it happen to heads of department. Um, I'm thinking in particular of a, a head of English I knew many years ago, who we all agreed was frankly a shell of his former self. Um, by the time he'd been head of English for a few years. I think head of English is one of the the toughest gigs imaginable. So I think it's hugely important that we all look after each other, and that includes our leaders. It really, really does. We must not forget the demands we place on them, the pressures we place upon them. So next fortnight, I will be speaking to Vicky Bingham, who is a current head teacher, and she is also a fellow classicist so I'm afraid we won't be able to resist touching on subject specifics but I shall try and keep that to a minimum because I know my subject is pretty niche but there's no way we're not going to go there Um, you will just have to bear with us and I'm going to be asking her more about the role now Vicky is an extraordinarily positive person and is nothing but positive about headship and it really does make me again wonder why it is that it's so tough and drives some away 
and others seem to thrive on it and is that some is it that some of them are lucky and they can stick with it for a long time do they get more support do we need to think harder about how it is that we can retain these leaders because certainly the statistics are not good and that's something that i want to ask vicky about so i do hope that you have had a really good start to the term this is the big week first week back for students in most schools certainly around here today was the day where students were returning through those gates in their uniform and teachers were welcoming them back once more so i do hope that you can join me next fortnight for my interview with vicky bingham head teacher but for now wherever you're listening from i do hope you've had a good start to the school year and see you soon goodbye for now you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio